Welcome back everyone to the podcast series brought to you by the International Arbitration Group at Denton's. With more than 40 partners and 120 lawyers, our group is widely recognized globally, trusted by corporations, states, and high net worth individuals for their most challenging international arbitration matters. Today, we are going to discuss developments with the Energy Charter Treaty. My name is Rachel Howey. I'm a partner based in Canada, the co-lead for our Canadian Litigation and Dispute Resolution Group, and a co-lead for our National ADR and Arbitration Group. And I'm James Langley. I'm a partner in Denton's London team, specialising in commercial and investor state arbitration. We are pleased to have with us today Catherine Gilfeder, a partner in our London office who specialises in international arbitration and public international law. She has acted as counsel for state and corporate clients in commercial and investment treaty disputes under all of the major institutional rules, as well as in complex cross-jurisdictional litigation. Welcome, Catherine. Thanks very much, Rachel. So just starting with the basics, Catherine, what is the Energy Charter Treaty? So the Energy Charter Treaty, or ECT, is a multilateral investment treaty it entered into force in 1998 with the aim of facilitating international investment and trade in the energy sector. It currently has 53 contracting states. The treaty originated in Europe, but the signatories comprise not just European, but also Middle Eastern, Central Asian and Far Eastern states, plus international organisations, the EU and Eurotom. And of most interest to listeners of this, this podcast, will be the ECT's investment protection provisions. Those include guarantees of fair and equitable treatment, national and most favoured nation treatment, and prohibitions on discrimination and expropriation. Okay, um, so can you tell us how the ECT connects to the world of international arbitration? Well, the ECT allows investors to bring claims for breach of the treaty in courts of the contracting states or, alternatively, in international arbitration under ICSID, UNCITRAL or the SCC rules. And those arbitration provisions have been invoked very widely. There have been 158 known investment arbitration cases under the ECT and a really big explosion in these over the past 10 years or so. And of these cases, Around 59% relate to investments in renewables, 34% in fossil fuels, and just 3% in nuclear. But the damages awarded to fossil fuel investors have been proportionately higher. So, for instance, we've seen three parallel decisions in 2014 ordering Russia to pay Yukos, the oil and gas company, 50 billion US dollars. And Italy has also been ordered to pay Rockhopper. 190 million euro due to its denial of a license to exploit an offshore oil field, despite the fact that this denial was in line with legislation that was aimed at facilitating the energy transition. So given this ability for fossil fuel investors to target measures aimed at combating climate change, unsurprisingly, the ECT has been controversial for quite some time. So there have been a lot of cases under the ECT over the years, those that you mentioned and others. Why is it that we're seeing the ECT in the headlines so much right now? Yeah, absolutely. And very recently, a number of factors have collided to create a real crisis for the ECT. So first, a series of 11 states have either lodged notices of withdrawal from the ECT or publicly announced their intention to do so. 
And those states would, in principle, remain bound to protect existing investments under the ECT's sunset provisions for 20 years, although there have been questions around potential disapplication of the sunset clause, which we can come back to a little later. Okay, and, and in a nutshell, why is it that you think these states are withdrawing from the ECT? What do we know about that? Well, I think it's a combination of factors. Obviously, the high value negative awards that we've talked about. And also some states like Spain and Italy have been on the receiving end of a high number of awards targeting the withdrawal of incentives in the renewable sector, which I think certainly had a role in Italy's notice of withdrawal back in 2016. But also, states clearly feel that the ECT just doesn't strike the correct balance between allowing them to act in furtherance of the Paris Agreement goals and protecting investors' rights. And indeed, in, in an effort to address those concerns, the contracting parties have, for a number of years, been engaged in a process of modernisation, which would, for instance, allow states to expressly exclude investments in fossil fuels from ECT protection. And we're seeing similar goals pursued in the context of other treaties, of course, like CETA, and many of the newer BITs, such as Canada's model BIT, will allow states more space to pursue policy aims, such as the prevention of climate change, as well as requiring more from investors in terms of responsible business conduct. So the ECT contracting states reached an agreement in principle on the proposals in the middle of 2022. But the process of actually getting a revised treaty through is quite complex. And the votes that have been scheduled for the treaty parties to date have each been postponed. We understand because the EU states have failed to reach a common position on the modernisation. So frankly, it all seems this is coming a bit too late. So that, that's really interesting, Catherine. And, and you mentioned earlier the arbitration provisions in the ECT. Um, are those playing a role in, the, in this controversy? Yes, indeed. And that's largely because of the position of the European Commission. It has long taken the view that arbitrations between EU nationals and another EU member state, of which actually many ECT arbitrations are, are contrary to EU law. And that's because they create the potential for an international tribunal outside of the EU legal system to opine and rule upon matters of EU law. And the Court of Justice of the EU, in a pair of well-known cases called Achmia and Konstroy, actually agreed with this. And what that means is that investors will struggle to enforce intra-EU ECT awards in the member state courts of EU, and possibly also in courts of other states. So we've seen, for instance, US courts earlier this year adopt conflicting approaches to that question. And further, the Commission has long advocated a coordinated withdrawal from the ECT by all member states, and even in July put forward a formal proposal that the EU should itself withdraw. So I think overall we're in a real period of uncertainty, both as to the future of the ECT and for investors relying on protection for existing investments and with ongoing arbitrations. Yeah, so there's there's a lot going on, isn't there? Um, so, so what's going to happen next? How do you see the developments unfolding? I mean, the is it is the ECT dead in the water? Well, I, 
think it really depends on what the EU states do. So if there was a coordinated withdrawal, the ECT's signatories would be reduced by half to 27. And this would, of course, really reduce the scope of geographical protection available to investors. And if that were to happen, in the immediate term, the critical question for investors will be whether their existing investments remain protected for now under the sunset clause. But for instance, the EU contracting parties have floated the idea of entering into an agreement among themselves to cancel the effect of the sunset clause. And more recently, the European Commission has even taken the position that the sunset clause never applied in the first place to intra-EU relations. Now, both of those propositions could be challenged before a tribunal or a court as a matter of international law. But from an investor's perspective, it means that at least intra-EU ECT claims look pretty difficult and perhaps unattractive. For non-EU investors in the EU, though, claims should still be possible in the immediate term under the sunset clauses. But of course, given the duration of energy investments, they should still be looking at what protection can be secured beyond the 20-year period. And to conclude on the modernization process, I mean, unless there's a real sea change, I think it's very difficult to see how that can progress. And that fact in itself might lead to further withdrawals. So for instance, the UK has said it will consider leaving if the modernization proposals are not adopted by November, 2023. So given all of that uncertainty with the ECT going forward, um, both for in investors, intra-EU and non-EU investors, what other alternatives are there for entities looking to protect their investments in the energy sector and, and what should investors do? Well, I think the pre precise alternative mechanisms will of course depend on the investment and involve quite careful judgment calls. Um, one possibility is to look at restructuring existing investments. So where investments were intra-EU, for example, and so arbitration looks difficult going forward, it might be possible to reroute investments through vehicles incorporated in signatory states outside the EU. But investors have to bear in mind, of course, that treaty claims are regularly disallowed where restructuring is, for instance, aimed at gaining protection when a dispute's already reasonably in prospect. So the timing of restructuring is key. Other things investors might do is look at bolstering contractual protections for their investments. So through host government agreements, perhaps, where transactions involve states or state-owned entities, um, through stabilization clauses, which can also be used to minimize the risks to investors from sudden changes in national laws. Or there's always the possibility of taking out insurance against political or other identifiable risks. And even if no additional legal protections available in the structure of the investment itself, depending on the facts and the states involved, there might be the possibility of bringing a claim in another forum. So for instance, under the European Convention on Human Rights, and that treaty has provisions that protect property rights um, that have been used in claims that might otherwise have been brought under investment treaties. Um, those claims would usually have to be brought first in the host state's domestic courts, and then if not successful, before the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg. But taking all this together, I think the message for investors has to be that 
the position right now with the ECT can't be ignored. If you have investments in a contracting state, now is the time to think about what alternative protections you have should things go wrong. That's excellent. Thank you so much, Catherine, for breaking down those issues for us today. Benton's is a global legal practice providing client services worldwide through its member firms and affiliates. This episode is not designed to provide legal or other advice, and you should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Please see dentons.com for legal notices.